Hi everyone, um, I'm Zell, I'm a 14 year old student from Adelaide um, and I'm here to tell you about our Students Declare workshop that happened yesterday over at the Capitol Theatre. Um, it, was, it was really great, we um, had a packed house, we had about 70 students come and show up from I think four different schools in the Melbourne area um, and uh, students from Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria so that was absolutely 2014 will go down as the warmest year around the globe in recorded history. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate is a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. So we are at York Butter Factory at 520 Brick Street in Melbourne CBD, and we are having a bit of a roundtable discussion here today. To my left... We have Thien, and I'm going to say it terribly wrong. I've been typing it for months to you and like seeing your name, but here you are in person. I, I've just met you, you know, in flesh the first time today. And, and how, how do you say your name the right way? No, you do it right. Like, it's just been <laughs> easy. But it's like, like, like the fin of a surfboard. Precisely. Okay, that is easier because there's an <laughs> E in there and it gets confusing, but yeah. I'm just... In my language, they use the E to lengthen a, cl- a sound, but uh-huh. it's still like one sound. Then. Making things complicated, but it's <laughs> easy. <laughs> Good. Okay. And to Finn's left, we have Marco. And how are you doing today, Marco? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, yeah, a bit hot and sweaty after riding <laughs> around the place in this hot weather, but yeah. What are you riding? Um, uh, just a bike, um, getting ready for going down to Tassie to do a half marathon, but hoping to uh, ride down there. That's um, right. When's the big day? When does the race start? The race starts on March 13th. And it'll go for a week? No, it's... Um, I'd need a week to do that kind of distance. <laughs> it's a half marathon, so 22 k's, but... Yeah. So just half a week? Yeah, just half a week. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. And so you're preparing for this by riding a bike around, or also is your will in order? Like, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling like I need to do more training. Um mm. <laughs> I feel like I haven't been doing it consistently enough, but I feel um, like I could just smash it out. Um, but, yeah, I sh- definitely should um, do a bit more consistent training for it. And But, yeah, I'm doing the 22K, not the 65K, so significantly less distance there. Fantastic. Well, I wish you all the best for that, and I'm glad you're doing it, not me. But uh, at the end of this, we'll ask you for some links about how we can support you and, and a bit more about that marathon. But um, to bring Zell into this, Zell, are you running any marathons in the near future? I'm not. Marco is doing really fantastic with that side <laughs> of things, and I'll leave that to him. You, you feel like that's you know that's that's already done. He's already repping it well, and you know you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. He can handle. Zell <laughs> has been doing a pretty good job on the marathon for climate emergency declarations mm. over the past year. They've been leading in that front. So Very well put there, Marco, that, that Zell has been kind of very much out front in the climate community over the last... It's going. It's, it's over a year yeah, now. Yeah. It, well, last time I saw you in Melbourne, which was March 2019, I had only just started... I'd only just been doing it for about a month and a half, so I was really new to it then. Even then, you were so confident and <laughs> driven. And so, what's the last you know year been like in hindsight? The last year has been like a real mix of things. So we've been focusing a lot on uh, councils. So we've had really fantastic um, pro- progress with uh, regional councils, local councils, and even uh, quite a few capital cities um, o- over the last year. So lots in Australia. Um, we even had the whole state. Sydney was massive, Melbourne. I understand you've been in the trenches, though, with Adelaide. Yep, and uh, Adelaide was a bit harder. We had to push twice, Um, but that that finally got through, and we eventually got the Australian Capital Territory to declare a climate emergency. So hopefully that's the start to having um, even uh, bigger governments getting CEDs declared. Mm, Very good. 
And so why was it that particular kind of part of the community that, that drew you in? What was uh, attractive about the um, Climate Declaration? So um, working with city uh, local councils, so like I said, um, I, I came late to the game of climate emergencies. So um, Marco and people with CASE were working with, on Darabin um, for quite a, uh, quite a while before I joined. So the local councils was the target when I um, started working on cl- climate emergencies so that's kind of what I just fell right into so then from there I've just been work, working up with lots of other people. Fantastic. So how does that kind of compare and contrast with with your experience there Marco with yeah being involved with with CASE and sort of has the last year been for you? Yeah um, I haven't actually been involved too much like with the with CASE and um, getting Darabin to declare that climate emergency. In fact, yeah, I didn't really um, even know about the climate emergency declaration movement uh, in 2018 um, until, yeah, like I got much more involved in the school strike for climate and then I was trying to push a similar thing through school strike. Um, but, yeah, so last year um, has predominantly been... Um, as a year 12 student um, in school strike for climate um, and within yeah the Darabin council progressing beyond the climate emergency mm. declaration into this kind of like mobilization phase and, and what is that what do those words actually kind of mean and sort of seeing actual tangible steps being taken by council in the last year yeah so because obviously there's been a lot of councils declaring but the actions from them, whilst there has been a lot, um, are still um, not what is requires some some pushing, Definitely. some cajoling. Yeah. So it would be fair to say that like involvement with School Strike for Climate was kind of a catalyst for you both, and then like the the road's really gone on from there on to you know bigger and and diverse things. Like you haven't both of you haven't really sort of stayed just in the lane of we strike every three months or so like that there's been a lot more involved with with you your involvement in the community yeah uh i i'd say that school strike for climate is what pushed me into um just like uh motivated to gain more awareness about the climate crisis um but i wouldn't say that it's what pushed me into climate and getting on board with climate emergency declarations uh, I wouldn't be involved in climate anything to do with the climate action if it wasn't for school strike for climate but uh yeah CEDs really came a, a while after all that mm-hmm. happened but yeah um yeah it it was the it kind of made the pipe uh, paved the road to getting here so mm. that'd be the same for you Marco um yeah kind of but Kind of not, because um, I was already involved in climate action groups um, and was doing a lot of campaigning before the school strikes started. Um, I was working with Galilee Blockade a lot, um, and then they kind of merged into XR, Extinction Rebellion, so then I kind of moved into that as well. And then School Strike for Climate came up, and I jumped on that. And, um, yeah, it was kind of the same time when I heard about what Darabin had started and with, uh, actually it was probably from XR really that I heard about the climate emergency declarations um, being like tell the truth as the first demand um, about the climate emergency, declaring the climate emergency. So Mm. that was probably, yeah, the entry point for me. Mm. It's really interesting now that it has been you know, over a year for you both that you've been really actively involved to look back on what it was that, that did get you involved for the first, you know, first big action, first sort of moment where you feel like, oh, I, this is a community I can be part of. I understand that, you know, here we are on, on Monday and just over the weekend you were part of a, a big kind of on-ramp, onboarding event as well for the school age community. Can you tell us a bit about this workshop you're part of at the Climate Emergency Forum and, and what the the hope with it is? Yeah, so um, on Friday at the National Climate Emergency Summit, uh, Marco, Gene Hinchcliffe, Katie Thompson and myself, we had the opportunity to run a workshop um, for students and teachers uh, to try and give them um, the information and resources 
and kind of teach them about how um, what a climate emergency is and why they should try and push to get one declared at their schools. So I think we had about four schools from the Melbourne area and quite a few people from interstate as well. Uh, yeah, so we kind of ran through a series of workshops. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so the workshop itself was um, comprised of like a few different activities. We wanted to keep it engaging and... Um, and interesting for the students so we had breakout sessions which allowed us to talk about um, what kind of barriers could be um, faced how we could overcome those how we can use our allies and um, strengthen those and all of these kind of questions which are essential for um, planning a really solid roadmap to get a climate emergency declared at the school um, yeah and I guess we were pushed to create this workshop because as of yet um, we yeah there's no school in Australia that has declared a climate emergency um, that we know of at least um, but yeah around the world there's um, the first declarations were made last October I think yeah, in Italy and now we've got Belgium on board so we've got 47 schools with cl- climate emergencies so that crown is just sitting there waiting for some Australian school to take it because exactly. everyone in the country who knows about anything to do with climate change knows that Darabin was the first city council to declare a climate emergency. Yeah. And I want to send my kid to the first school that declares a climate emergency and acts on it. Yeah, ex- exactly. Why is that just money on the table? That's amazing. Yeah, just j- just how people say... um. Like, certain things that uh, politicians do can guarantee them uh, more votes. Certain things that schools do can guarantee them more en- enrolments. Yeah, yeah. And, and reputation points. Exactly. Kind of, yeah, that that sheen to it. Um, uh, so, sort of going into it, your advice for these students was, you know, I'm sure there's, there's ways to introduce or to start getting the climate emergency as part of, of everyday school activities. But it's important to really have, like, a strategy worked out initially, like, like sort of start with a clear plan in mind? Yeah, so um, what, what we kind of got the kids to do, the first thing that we did was um, get them to write down uh, the barriers that they might um, encounter when trying to get a climate emergency through, um, but also some of the things that they could do in their school environment. Um, to get a climate emergency, like they, they 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 could put in a climate emergency. So um, when you get a climate emergency um, dec- declaration, you really start off with a foundation, and because each environment, each council, each school, each organisation is different and unique in the way that they do things, it's important to kind of add your own. Um, way or your own actions to each climate emergency so that's what we were kind of showing the kids that it's a lot more than just we hand you this piece of paper you hand it to your principal and they sign it um yeah you really need to make it personal and make it that it'll work effectively in your school environment mm-hmm. Very um but yeah going to the kind of overall strategy which we were going for um we did kind of develop the workshop over um declaring first the climate emergency um, and ecological crisis, um, acting on it and then advocating for it. So throughout the workshop we moved through those um, different topics and um, then discussed the pillars of our declaration of a climate emergency as well. Sounds like a a big topic and and you only had a few hours to go through this in the workshop, didn't you? So it sounds like, you know, uh, a podcast series or <laughs> yeah the, uh, it's it's and it will matter a lot uh which school you're in what area um you know if if it's a religious school if it's not if it's a charter school if it's not um just to quickly throw in like my experience i, I was homeschooled so i wouldn't have had much luck with the school emergency declaration it would have been easy would have been the hardest thing in the world because my my dad is still a skeptic and and votes the wrong way in american elections i won't won't mention that um but then i I went to a boarding school in new zealand so i did go to a school but it was later on in my schooling time and that school was anglican it was very conservative it was very old school but rowing was a really big thing for it and i think actually there could have been a really strong lever to use there with you know new zealand right now is going through drought conditions itself um you know there are a lot of you know the rowing places 
aren't aren't available for rowing anymore. Um, so there there is some ways to kind of get very specific, I guess, with that message, like what matters to the school, what matters to the school community, and really hit the connection to the climate crisis home. Yeah, well, that's actually an interesting point because during the workshop, I spoke to a few students from this school, which was a sporting school. So they said um, it would be quite difficult for them to declare a climate emergency because their school was basically evolved around um, just sports. And um, so then I tried to, yeah, point to the fact that now we're seeing sport matches council because mm-hmm. it having to be cancelled because of the climate crisis. You've got which Shane Warren coming out and saying we're in a climate crisis. Yeah, definitely. So I think um, that, yeah, so the different ways you can do it for different schools depending mm-hmm. on religion, sport, or whatever the mm-hmm. school is focused most focused on can yeah. definitely be beneficial. Yeah, turn, turn it into a strength. And, like, safety is the most Im- important thing as well. And um, I think that's what lots of teachers um, really understood during the workshop is that, um, make, making sure kids are safe. Like, uh, we have the in most primary schools and high schools at the moment, if it's too hot, you're not allowed to go outside or there's, like, rain bells, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are you supposed to, like, when extreme temperatures become the norm, um, how is, like... How are kids going to be able to go and play outside? Mm-hmm. You're going to kids are just going to have to stay inside. I met a lady um, on the last day of the summit who was talking about trying to get um, a playground awareness put into climate emergencies. So most playgrounds you see are made out of plastic. Um, when the sun comes out, those really heat up, and yeah, yeah it, it, it can burn kids. Like mm-hmm. it can be really painful and uh, unsafe for younger kids. Mm-hmm. And I think when yeah mentioning that, it just makes me think of the 2000 schools which were shut down in New South Wales due to the fires like these fires um, have been scientists have indicated these fires have been accelerated intensified by the climate crisis and yet um, and they're literally shutting down schools because of them so it's such an obvious concern of safety for everyone Maybe I'm just ahead of the curve by being homeschooled. You know, if we can't go to school anymore. Mm. <laughs> um, Finn, we've, we've got someone here at the table who who is Belgian, mm-hmm. and you went to school, I'm assuming, in Belgium. Does it surprise you at all to hear that we have Belgian schools declaring climate emergencies before Australia on the front lines of the climate crisis? It actually kind of does surprise me, but because of I've been to school a long time ago, and I can see that there is a big difference happening in the last years like for example I specialized myself as a research journalist in climate change and when I started doing that like a couple of years ago people in Belgium declared me stupid to specialize myself in that like what are you going to write about nobody's wanted to read about it but then the last years when I hear about people in Belgium I can hear how climate change is affecting them like normally it's a rainy country but they had drought they had water shortages mm-hmm. which was have never thought so then I understand that people nowadays might be thinking like what is going on and they've been sparked by the movement of Greta of um, mm. which is like more nearby so I think then I understand that the last years a lot of things changed which is good for the better mm. so there you go I mean that's how inspiring is that that um, it can feel in Australia like how is it not painfully obvious that we've just been through a summer of mm-hmm. that's not an aberration it's not a, a freak accident that is the sign of a new cycle that we're in um and it can feel really disheartening how we kind of lag on acting on that um how do, how do you kind of feel you know at this this point in february 2020 do you do you expect you know we'll start seeing school well this is the reason why the workshop happened right so we start getting school emergency declarations but are you, are you hopeful we'll start to see them in the near future I'm not really sure. Like this, this was just one workshop, and it would be really great if, um, like, not not just students but teachers could go back and um advocate not not just from like from the student body but like fa- faculty and um teachers everywhere. Um, yeah, like, yeah, parents, exactly. Students. Yeah, senior leadership. Um, at at schools. 
um, that this is something that needs to be done. It's a matter of uh, safety, it's a matter of health, and it's a matter of um, ensuring that uh, kids' futures are, are protected. And I really hope that all the students at our, um, at our workshop can go back and uh, try and make change in their school environments because like, we have the most vested interest in our, in our futures, even more than ad- adults or anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I really hope that um, we can start to see school CEDs. You know, we've seen with the school strike such a wave of empowerment and of the knowledge of the climate crisis becoming a part of young people's identity. And like we, we've seen that because people will give up Fridays and they'll, you know, go out and they will strike and they will go out at the drop of a hat, you know, to be outside an MP's office or something. But do you think there's a hesitancy to kind of bring that back into the classroom or into the school environment is is like speaking maybe just for yourselves like has is school kind of been a bit of a haven from the reality of dealing with with climate in a lot of the rest of your time is there like an aspect of like i just want to go to class i want to learn something i want kind of a break from the existential dread of dealing with climate change is there a is there a willingness to bring that into that environment as well? I think it's essential. I personally felt um, pretty terrible not having it in there, feeling the absence of, like, the climate emergency education in the curriculum last year. Um, But accounting is very important. Of course, and we should be counting how many more years we're going to have to face of this horrendous events. And, um, yeah, we have to be getting into the true nature of accounting. Um, but, yeah, I think um, until, yeah, so a few years ago I was, oh, I guess throughout school I've always, yeah, been pushing for, um, initially it was just like, oh, let's introduce more environmentally concerned Yeah, the green things. clubs. And yeah, so um, that kind of stuff, just raising awareness. But then last year it became a lot more, um, I'm, yeah, just with my last year at school, I was like, I have to try um, do as much as I can to improve the current situation here, um, and hopefully this can be reflected across other schools. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of work in there because I thought it was kind of ridiculous that mm-hmm. this climate crisis isn't being educated to people. People were so oblivious to it, even with the climate strikes that have brought thousands onto the streets um there's still a lot of inaction by young people um and yeah so schools can be a big part of mobilizing them or at least educating them yeah no that that yeah well i um at my school i'm able to talk to a people about climate change and I'm able to like have just discussions about it with with my friends um and even with some of my teachers as well um I've had talks with my school in environment captain uh and they don't really feel the same way like it seems like that's kind of a job that's um useless in my school they don't really do anything uh in terms of environment they don't go out to strikes they won't go out to strikes and kind of report back about what it's really like to teachers do you feel like there's a strange kind of perverse incentive where if you're part of the green team or say captain of the green team's up, you feel like you're doing your part? Yeah, I'm, I'm being a good person and uh, I, don't, I don't have to go out to strike now because I'm already doing yeah. enough. And I think uh, once you, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm, I'm not in year 12 yet, but I think may, when you kind of reach that point, uh, like being a prefect or um, like head boy or head girl or some environment captain, it's kind of like a role that's more about... Um, like the respect that comes with it more than the responsibility that comes with it uh and in the very beginning i tried to get my school to declare a climate emergency but by lots of um by like lots of um and like lots of councils i got the same response like uh we're we're doing enough about climate change we understand that it's a problem we've got solar panels we've got all this happening but they didn't want to declare a climate emergency so um i'm able to talk to teachers i'm able to talk to students and have discussions um, not all teachers, though. Like, uh, I've said this. My one of my geography teachers is a climate denier, and he said that. And he said that to me. But my school is, um, yeah, like uh, another one of those schools that's really based around sport. You'd think the word denier in any context would be kind of verboten yeah. on uh, as a member of a faculty. Like, or you would have thought, even as um, like someone whose job it is to like 
educate young yeah. minds. <laughs> exactly. You would have thought that that's either something you'd keep to yourself or um, I try and get a bit more of an informed opinion about. Mm-hmm. But I think what um, people need to get out of is like the sense of em- emergency sparking fear. It needs to um, like spark mobilisation and just awareness like a like I said my school is a really um, sporty school they've got a volleyball program but like really simple things instead of um, flying people uh, flying my volleyball my school volleyball teams to different cities to participate in competitions like charter buses or charter um, or not charter trains but catch catch the train Mm -hmm. Um, like there's so many other ways to travel around that the school can do that is just as efficient and yeah I think there's so many solutions and my uh my senior leadership needs to stop um, taking the word emergency as um, inspiring fear. Mm, mm-hmm. Or or it should inspire fear and they should bloody well act on it. Yeah, mm, yeah that's really interesting um, because it's so true with um, senior, like, consider senior roles in school. Um, I was actually um, one of the school captains at Northgate High and went into that role knowing that I had to do as much, had a big responsibility to um, obviously listen to all the cohort and the rest of the school with what they wanted, but to also ensure that um, students were being educated about the climate emergency and that we there was proper actions and change coming from that. But, um, yeah, there was this kind of, like... so, So I tried, yeah, to really make it a central issue, not a side issue which it is in most cases I've found and um how did you find that what was kind of the the, re- the reaction it was actually really positive by the um yeah by the principal and by other staff members they were um getting on board with a lot of the projects I was putting forward um I was they probably also found me in incredibly tiresome, <laughs> constantly emailing, nagging them oh. to um, When you challenge people, done. that's how they feel about you, but you get closer to the end result you want. So it's it's a trade-off. Yeah, but ultimately it was, um, yeah, I, a lot got came out of it. And, um, yeah, even though I don't like to hold uh, authority and much more for, like, um, non-hierarchical, organizing um it did allow me to um yeah have a that's that's the structure schools have you know still so you have to work within it uh just a a quick hypothetical for you we talked a little bit at northcote high just now your your alma mater your uh your previous school marco and and we talked about you know your schools l you know they've got this sporting tradition and they don't they don't want to confront the fear of it they don't want you know alarmist you know rhetoric language and stuff do you think would it which one would surprise you the least if the first climate emergency declaration comes from a super progressive woke you know green school like in Northgate High kind of a traditional kind of place where you imagine green things to come from but but everyone kind of feels comfortable like they're doing things and uh, they know the bad things happen but they feel good because they're doing something or is it going to come from a place like a Nelligan or a Malakuta uh, community completely ravaged by the Australian bushfire crisis this year? Like, we're going to get like a real like safe conserv like well we don't have conservative a safe liberal seat who has just been yeah ravaged. Which of those do you think is more likely at this stage to be uh, the first? CD? I'm not entirely sure to be honest. I think that um. Uh, the the problem with CEDs in schools at at the moment is um well maybe with schools that are um, a bit more green and a bit more environmentally focused that um they are doing enough and they are doing a really great job with stuff and they are but um climate emergencies like the word emergency it can really make um people scared and I think what t- t- teachers argue the most is that it'll make kids scared. Um, especially in primary schools um, where younger students are. So I'm not really sure which which school would declare first. I think as soon as either um, like any any school anywhere has the information that the word emergency is about mobilisation, education, and awareness, um, that would that would be a likely uh, trigger for them to declare. Yeah, I feel similar 
not sure um, either way, but I do feel it's going to come from a more um, generally regarded progressive area um, as like Darabin or Melbourne City Council schools um, because I do think at the moment it's probably not on the top of schools out in Malakuta's minds to be um, declaring climate emergencies. Like, obviously, when it's the perfect time to be talking about it, but um, with the damage and destruction um, that these fires have caused, I feel like it's, yeah, much more likely to come from school surf and being directly affected, um, but uh, in those, yeah, progressive kind of mindsets and... Mm -hmm. But do you think, like, the fact that those schools are destroyed and they face the emergency and the climate change so close by actually might be an opportunity to rebuild things out of the mindset that we have a climate emergency and we have to rethink our schools and school systems to be adapted and resilient to climate change? Because some of those schools are totally burned down and they'll have to rebuild it. And maybe that might just be the good moment to catch up with what you're teaching your students at your workshops and to make them more resilient for climate change. Yeah, um, that's actually a, a really fantastic uh, question, but I'm not sure. Um, like, there, there, There's been lots of fundraisers to kind of um, help restructure and rebuild um, towns that have been uh, destroyed by bushfires, such as Nelligan and Malakuta. But um, in any of these resources that are online for fundraising, I've seen no talk of um, like rebuilding... Uh, poor areas of the town so that they're more um, safe to fire, like more green spaces, mm -hmm. preventing um, like dry, drier conditions, not just in the town but around the town. Um, I've seen none of that actually attached to resources about um, raising money to rebuild the town, and I think that's kind of um, that that's like really ignorant. Mm -hmm. um, like we've seen scientists say that these fires are not just going to continue, but they're going to get worse mm -hmm. every year. Uh, so I think taking the money that's been donated, they should be rebuilding the town in a much safer way that um, protects all the residents. For sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that also includes schools if they have to be rebuilt. Yeah, definitely. To start with, for sure, because if you focus on schools like what you are doing, you're actually focusing on the most important part of society because the way students think and are educated will reflect later on in the entire society, right? So if they get more fire resilient and climate change resilient schools, they might take all those lessons with them to whatever they build up later on in their lives. Yeah, I think so. Um, also, just going back to your um, first question, I think um, there's, it's probably, I'm not sure on the exact situation of it, but I would imagine there'd be quite a politically difficult situation for schools that are trying to f desperately find funding to rebuild and um, fix things up. Um, so I think due to the politics still that is attached to the climate emergency, I feel like that could be another hesitation for some schools which have been directly affected um, mm -hmm. to declare climate emergencies. Um, yeah. So we, we only have probably another sort of five minutes here, which is unfortunate. It's gone really fast. And, and thank you so much for coming in and sitting down with us for this time. Um, rather than asking you kind of, you know, the big questions and, and sort of what you think of the future and speaking for all of schools and stuff, just as two young men, Marco and Zell, how did you find the Climate Emergency Summit? And, and what's kind of the – what's your – reaction to it been like because i know you know marco we spoke at you know slf 2019 and it was 20 year anniversary and it was great and everything but here we are it's another year it's another february it's another sustainable living festival um does it feel like things have changed uh yeah definitely i think it was a really great move to make um either climate emergency summit to make it much more about mobilization than um, the festivities um, because obviously we are in dire times um, and whilst it's good to party and do that um, we need to have a lot more large-scale strategic mobilization and sessions to um, 
debate theories of change within the climate emergency movement um, and yeah discuss dilemmas and challenges that we face moving forward and I think yeah that's what the climate emergency summit helped um, do um, much more effectively than the more traditional sustainable living festivals. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think that the summit was uh, really enlightening and uh, motivational. It was really great to hear so many of the speakers, not just from Australia, but um, from overseas, who were such great communicators. That made me think, like, this isn't the only venues they go to. Like, they're going to go out and speak to so many more people in the same eloquent but really simple way of just addressing it how it is, explaining it how it is. Um, but also so many of the uh, people who came up and uh, would li- li- listen to talks but came up and spoke to me afterwards um, who were agreeing and un- understanding that adaptation is not a path that we want to go uh, that we want to go down um, mobilization and education is uh, the way that that we need to address this problem and that was really fantastic I was really struck by what you said there, Marco, about how it is a chance to have uh, debates within the climate community about our theories of change and about the way forward. And it's really great that we have all these groups that are getting together every weekend and they do actions and stuff. But uh, what constantly get asked gets asked for within the community is a sense of, of unity and direction and like that there is something happening at scale. And this was just the right event to actually have that bigger discussion and hash out who's doing what and why what is the goal what is the roadmap what is the plan um for is there kind of do you have a sense even just for yourselves but you can speak about the whole community if you want is there a sense of clarity for you about what what to do in the next year after leaving the Climate Emergency Summit. Yeah, so um, I was saying on my panel on Saturday that uh, the school strikes um, were the alarm bells and these climate emergencies are our first response actions. So, um, yeah, I really hope that... um, that climate emergencies can be seen as the clear way to move forward and like pro- progress to the next level of making things happen, um, slowing down our emissions and our current way of um, like looking and um, working with things in society. And, yeah, I think I hope it's been really clear that we need a major change. And um, it's not going to be scary if we act now, um, but it's something that really needs to be done. What does the the year ahead look like for you, Marco? I know you're going to be running very soon through a forest. So yes. should we all do that? Should we all just go? <laughs> well, actually, in the scheme of the climate emergency, I prob- yeah, it's it's debatable like whether we do focus on single campaigns or focus on the broader picture. I think um, yeah, you know, if, if we if we all looked at the broader picture, nothing would actually get done. Probably, like, yeah. Yeah, I think they're essential, all these different campaigns, but I do think it's good that they are... God bless the knitting nanas. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so for me, I'm actually not too certain on where I am going to devote most of my energy um, and time. I'm still, yeah, trying to figure out and um, think because I traditionally have been involved in campaigns like Gali Blockade, Stop Adani, School Strike for Climate, um, and, like, single kind of threat campaigns, like stopping the Adani coal mine, stopping the forestry logging. Um, So now I'm really thinking, how do I also go to a much larger scale um, kind of... um, Thing because ultimately there's another 200 coal mines being planned um, across... Oh, there's hundreds um, across the world and many in Australia being planned. There's fracking, there's oil um, drilling, which is potentially going to be occurring pretty soon in the bight. And, yeah. Fracking begun in the NT. It, it really feels like you, know, you can you can really get worn out playing the game of whack-a-mole against individual projects, and we could keep playing that game. Yeah, for like, decades. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard 
it is hard to see the end, I think. Um, I do, yeah. Um, but obviously, I know we have to just keep building it larger and larger. So um, my answer isn't too clear. I'm going to be getting more involved with Extinction Rebellion Youth um, and try to mobilise um, on the climate emergency and um, under XR's demands, which I, um, yeah, agree with. And... Yeah, I, th- I think it's. Uh, thank you for saying what you've just said because I think a lot of. Well, I'm projecting a lot. But I, I'm remembering back to when I was like 16, and I didn't have something like the school strike happening. I didn't have like some big motivating thing. But if I had, and I had gone along to a school strike, I would have felt after that like, oh my god, I need to be involved. I need to find my space. I need to find my lane. I need to get involved. Yeah, and I, and I probably would have for about a year, and then I would have like popped my head up and been like, okay is this the right fit for me? What else should I do? And it's, I'm really glad that, that you, Marco, as someone who is really well known within the community, that you can say, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going next and that's okay. And it's okay to just, just for a second, just look around the landscape and see where's, where am I best going to fit? Where's the best use of my skills and where's going to fill my cup. And it's, it's a, great thing to say because i think a lot you know rightly people are freaked out which means you need to be doing something you're doing something all the time and it's okay even just for a few weeks or a few months of just like take a breath run a half marathon in your case <laughs> yeah i've made that kind of my rest time in the forest <laughs> um i whilst i'll be helping out with the campaign down there it will be a time off the computer hopefully mm, and good um yeah good so tell, tell us a little bit about the the half marathon through the the Tarkan rainforest. How can we get involved and and have you run on our behalf so that we don't have to? <laughs> yeah, well, um, chipping into my fundraiser page, um, you can find it maybe in the um, description we'll of link this in the show notes. Yeah, easy um, podcast. And basically, the half marathon is a fundraiser for the. Bob Brown Foundation's um, campaign to protect uh, the Tukanya Wilderness region of northwest Tassie. It's the world's cool, largest tract of cool temperate rainforest. It's got um, many sites of historical significance for the First Nations people there and obviously the rest of Australia. Mm. Um, the threatened species down there um, are astounding and the forests are remarkable and um gondwan and natives and species endemic to that area that you can't find anywhere else oh that sounds like an amazing place to go for a run or or i'd be going for a walk Uh, (laughs) that sounds great yes so listeners please please get on that and support marco's campaign and and i guarantee for every ten dollars he'll run extra fast yeah, definitely. (laughs) um finn do do you have any final questions for these two yeah, well, maybe actually one related to what you say, like that you sometimes don't know where you're going to next. Like, what's it that keeps you going? Like, because sometimes it is hard to be activist or being involved in this kind of movement and trying to change something regardless some people don't want to change. So what's the thing that you can tell yourself or keep for yourself saying like, this sucks, but I'll do it there for it, and it gets you up again? Um, yeah, what keeps me going um, is a mixture of things, the wonders of this world um, that haven't been destroyed, um, the people, the, all the good people on this world who are also fighting to protect it um, is truly inspiring to be part of that, um, this movement, this growing movement. Um, and I guess just the acknowledgement of the privileges I have living in Northgirt in, um, um, with my family and uh, having been able to go through 12 years of education. Um, I acknowledge that many people across the globe aren't able to do that, aren't able to take the time I'm taking to fight for the climate crisis and uh, many people don't even have the ability to choose whether they are activists or not because mm. their life depends on it so um yeah that's a big motivator for me it's like yeah it can get tough and it can 
um, get really disheartening when you think things aren't going as fast as they should be or... Um, Sometimes going backwards. Yeah, and going backwards is how it's looking in Australia in the political sense in a way. Um, yeah, so... Oh, no, I've just talked you out of being motivated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what, what keeps me going is uh, like Facebook and social media can be a really... Uh, dip- depressing place sometimes it can also be a really amazing place just being able to see um strikes that are happening in um like in australia but also um groups that are popping up all over the place uh, nigeria central asia all these um amazing places that like um most people most people my age wouldn't have even heard of uh, uzbekistan but um but you've got yeah. friends there yeah and, um and it's really fantastic to see that stuff so i'm um, on the digital world that uh seeing all these strikes happening um even though the like strikes um are, and it can only do so much but it really shows the people power of um places all over the world so in the digital world that's really motiv- um really motivational and like what marco said um i think you're a kind of person who really enjoys being out in nature um, and I think that's another thing, like just looking at the beauty of our world and what we've still got and just being grateful is a really fantastic uh, like mindset to have. Um, when I was in Canberra over the summer holidays, it was just so much smoke and uh, it was horrible. And what I just did for one day is just took a break from everything and I uh, went to the aqu- aquarium. And I know it might sound weird, but just being surrounded by water and looking at fish just really was really re- relaxing and being in the right mindset. Mm. But what really makes me think is that uh, there's 4 million people in Australia under the age of 14. Um, how many of those people have parents that won't let them go out and um, go out to strikes, go out and do activist stuff, or just have any kind of voice or participation in anything to do with climate change? You know... Uh, oh, so. oh, yeah, sorry. Um, it's really fantastic that we're, we're able to do... Um, this and go out and protest go out to summits um so i really hope that if anyone out there um with parents who aren't aren't supportive or won't let them go out and um share their voice that this is something that they can um go out and do eventually Mm. so yeah very good thank you both so much for joining us you're you're really inspiring and i've made sure to like try to ask you questions about you know from your perspectives as just you know two young people but of course people listening to this are probably tuning in because they they are familiar with your names familiar with the amazing work you've both done in the last year it's really um i remember being nervous speaking to you for the first time marco because i knew you as the young man who'd been on q a and i'm just such a media kind of you know suck up um, but uh, getting to know you both as people has been really inspiring. And there's there's so much in my own life that I need to do better at in terms of sustainability. But in terms of like having the courage to talk to people about climate change and, and sort of just engage with this stuff, uh, there's definitely days where I don't want to. But I think about you two and the example you've set. And it does give me a kick in the butt when I really need it. And so... Thank you. What you, what you are doing is really being noticed by people, and I'm sure over this weekend you've you've had a lot of people come up to you and saying thank you and how much what you what you are doing means to them. But um, yeah, I'd just like to echo that and thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Thanks, tapes. <laughs> and thank you, Finn, for joining me. So, uh, Finn, here you're going to be going to a lot of sustainable living festival events over the next week. Mm-hmm. I've given you a crash course on a recorder. How are you feeling in terms of, uh, just just very quickly here, being a deputized climactic correspondent for the next week? I think it's awesome because I would be going anyways. And I love like these kind of conversations. That's what kind of keeps me going and everything. Like I love to talk to people who are on the same page and striving as well for it. And it's so inspiring. And I think we can inspire one another all the time. And that's how the movement keeps rolling, I think. Therefore, I'm very grateful to talk with you guys, talk with anybody and like to attend the, the summit and the event because it keeps me going as well. The moments I think like, why? <laughs> then it's like, oh no, therefore, you know, and mm-hmm. therefore I love it. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's us. Have a good one. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Zell. I'm a 14-year-old student from Adelaide. 
Um, and I'm here to tell you about our Students Declare workshop that happened yesterday over at the Capitol Theatre. Um, it, was, it was really great. We um, had a packed house. We had about 70 students come and show up from, I think, four different schools in the Melbourne area um, and uh, students from Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. So that was absolutely fantastic to see people from all over the country. The structure of it went really well, went really smoothly. Uh, what we got the students to do was to get into their school groups and talk about um, things, barriers they might encounter, um, but also some of the great things that they could do to get a CED up and happening in their school that were unique to their school environment. That, that was a great success. We all got them to share what they had learnt, um, and that was fantastic. And then the final um, stage of what we got the students to do was to break up into groups based on the four pillars of a climate emergency, which is to reduce CO2, draw down CO2, uh, raise awareness and build resilient communities. So four groups, one for each pillar. And that was also really fantastic. We found that lots of the students were already really aware and onto climate change. There was no needing to push them. There was no needing to stand behind their backs. They all took it really independently, which was great as students running it ourselves. Um, so I'd just like to thank everyone who came along, um, the National Climate Emergency Summer, and to the three amazing people who helped run it with me, Gene uh, Hinchcliffe, uh, Marco Bellamo, Katie Thompson, and Matt Wicking, who also uh, facilitated it. So thank you, everyone. This was a podcast from the 2020 National Climate Emergency Summit. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening, and from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.